Welcome to the Anonymous Andrew Podcast. Life and the choices we make. The choices other people make. Why we choose to ignore the red flags. Red flags like gaslighting, cheating, addiction, mental illness, and much more. What role do they play in relationships? Follow me each week as we discuss these topics with anonymous guests and experts to hopefully become better humans, resulting in better choices. Like I say, been there, still doing that. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Anonymous Andrew Podcast, life and the choices we make. So today's episode is on a topic that we have covered before, and I will continue to cover it, narcissism. And um, it's just a, a topic that, uh, while the word itself is being tossed around, I don't think the general population really understands how traumatic it is and what the true definition is. And uh, I think we just throw the word around like, my oh, my ex was a narcissist. And, and while many of my experts have said that all of us can be on the narcissistic spectrum, um, it, it's not true NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. So, um, yeah, th th so this, this guest today, her name is Dana Diaz, and she wrote a book called Gasping for Air, and uh, just another incredible story of uh, going through horrible marriages and relationships and childhood uh, trauma, and then coming out on the, on the other end in one piece, and one piece is what we can hope for in many cases, and I'm bringing you people who have come out on one piece, but have, have come out on top, and that's what I want to share with you. By the way, as, um, as always, I'd like you to subscribe to my show, follow me please, leave a review, give me some stars, five would be nice. And I did have a book contest. It's still going on, I think. Um, but we're going to be doing more contests. We're going to be giving away uh, many things over the next this summer. We're going to have a summer-filled contest, gift cards, and maybe more books. So, But you must be a follower and a subscriber um, in, in order to enter the contest. So let's get on that platform and hit that follow button. So... All right, on to the interview. Dana Diaz. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Anonymous Andrew back with you again. And I'm always going to be here, right? Okay, so today I have a special guest. And her name is Dana S. Diaz, and she's an author, and she wrote a book called Gasping for Air. Good evening, Dana, if it's evening oh, where hello. you are. It <laughs> is evening where I am. It okay. is. <laughs> the sun um, is still shining, though, so that's good. It is. Oh, this is my favorite time of year. The sun stays yeah. out much late. So I came across Dana on a venue that uh, I... I that we met on, it doesn't matter. Um, and I read her bio and ladies and gentlemen, 
Once again, we're going to dive into the topic, the topic of narcissism. Um, as you know, that was um, between gaslighting and narcissism in, in my past relationship. It kicked my ass. And I am happy to have anybody that wants to come on and share their story. So, Dana, let's start with your story and, and how you came to write this book. All right. Well, Gasping for Air is about my previous marriage. Um, that relationship was 25 years too long, unfortunately. Um, and, and we had a child out of it as well. Um, but the interesting part about it is that I was actually raised by a narcissistic stepfather and my mother who gaslit me and enabled and excused the narcissism. Um, but that narcissistic abuse as a child came also with the physical abuse. I mean, I was told every single day, nobody would ever love me. Nobody wanted me. Um, he shouldn't have to pay for me because I wasn't his. And, you know, it went so far as, you know, things like I remember my mother hurt her shoulder, but, you know, we weren't allowed to go to the doctor. He had a checkup every six months, but she couldn't go to the doctor because, we just weren't allowed. It, it, he was important. He was entitled. Everything was all about him and nobody else. So I was, I was literally raised every single day with that mentality. And by the way, my mother went over a year suffering with her shoulder because he, I found out he didn't even have medical insurance on her oh. because it was too expensive, but he had medical insurance for himself. So, you know, he was a typical, what, you know, we we do throw the word narcissism around way too much in this society. Um, it's thrown around way too freely. There is a difference between somebody that has narcissistic qualities or even just has a really, really healthy <laughs> self-esteem yep. versus somebody who is what I call a malignant narcissist, which is unfortunately what I've encountered most in my life, which is somebody who actually intends to cause harm, whether right. it's emotional, physical, however the damage is. Sometimes I've suffered financial abuse. I'll get to that. But um, there's various, uh, you know, there's there's a variety of ways that they abuse you. Um, there's even sexual abuse. Um, I've heard so many stories um, from other victims. But it all started with this, you know, with my stepfather and, and I saw him for who he was, even as a young child, I remember, you know, saying to my mother, you're, you're going to let him treat me like this. You're going to let him talk to me like this. But she was so submissive. Um, you, you know, she would tell me just be quiet or he never said that that's where the gaslighting started, but I didn't know what gaslighting was at the time. Um, there were even things that were said or that happened. She was two feet away. And she, I would look at her and she would act like nothing happened. Yeah. And I would actually say to her, I know you just heard that. So don't tell me that he didn't just say that to me. And she would just wash the dishes or clear whatever she was doing. It's she would just ignore it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with narcissists, the thing is, if you don't get on the narcissist train and, you know, fulfill their ego and give them the power and the control and all that, if you don't submit like my mother did, you're a problem. Mm. You are a problem. And I think that as far as my stepfather, he definitely um, put a divide between my mother and I, I think he was almost a 
afraid that my willpower and my strength would rub off rub off on her that somehow I would influence her against him so he had to intervene and influence her against me you know and you know I'm 47 years old now I have no relationship with my mother she does not speak to me there's no communication um neither does he and and yeah they're still together Uh. they're still together and they have a child uh you know I, I was not his biological child, but they did have a biological child together who, you know, is, of course, the golden child because, you know, my brother, I love him, but he did everything mom and dad wanted him to do. You know, everybody submitted but me. And um, it's because I saw through it and I thought it was bull and I, I wasn't going to do it. Um, so by the time I was 18, I knew I was out of the house and, and he had already basically pushed me out. Um you know, the sad part is, it's interesting to me that narcissists have this um, tendency, they all have the same MO, they like to call people crazy, when somebody becomes a problem or a threat. It's like their only way that they know to discredit um, people that might influence others against them, but they are smart, because they get in there and discredit you before you can say anything against them. And it's just, you know, I I don't know about you, but I am exhausted of playing the games. It's just constant manipulation and constantly gauging, you know, the energy in the room and what's going to happen next and trying to, you know, everyone's trying to determine their next move. And I mean, it literally is emotionally exhausting. It wears on you. Um, but you know, they definitely did the crazy thing at one point when I was, I want to say 16, 17, he had actually convinced my mother that I must be high on drugs. I'm nuts. Sent me to the loony bin. You know, I never, to this day, I've never done a recreational drug in my life. I could probably use pot, but I've never smoked pot or taken (laughs) a CBD gummy or anything, (laughs) but you know, but they were, he had convinced her he was trying to get rid of me. Um, and fortunately the insurance ran out because I was sharing a room with a 12 year old girl who had committed murder. She murdered her best friend. There were other people there and it's no offense against those with mental health issues, but you know, you, you go in a place like that as somebody who doesn't have issues, you come, you almost go crazy in there. And, and it, it, it was just such, you know, you want to talk about trauma after everything I was going through daily in that house. Um, it was traumatic. I got out of that house so fast when I was 18 and my mother did not stop me. Um, she never ever came to my rescue, never came to my defense, even as an adult. Um, she just submits to her husband. Um, so how I would fall for a narcissist and marry one is beyond me. But I think that, and I think a lot of people can appreciate this when you come out of a bad childhood, especially when you're devalued and you're made to feel so worthless and insignificant, um, you know, especially with, I was always punished with silent treatment. They would go days, sometimes three, four weeks, literally I was nowhere. They didn't see me. They didn't hear me. It's like, I wasn't there. Um, 
And that is just so intentionally cruel to do that to another human being. And I was a child. Child. So coming out of that house, even though I was very aware of what was going on, I didn't have the verbiage for it. Um, Cause I don't think narcissism back in the, you know, early nineties, it wasn't um, really a thing back then. I, I mean, it existed, but nobody had the words for it. Like we do now, but um, I think I was just so eager for somebody to make me feel worthy and to, to make me feel like I was, that I was worthy of love and that I was worthy of attention. And, you know, I turned into a people pleaser. I never wanted to disappoint anybody, whatever anybody wanted, friends, coworkers, you know, romantic part, whatever. It was just whatever you want, whatever you want, you know, just because I was so eager for that connection that I never got, even with my own mother, um, you know, and it's really hard, you know, that's a, that's a whole separate subject, but, you know, rejection of a mother is, is so, uh, I mean, I don't even know that there's words for it. No. I always joke that even serial killers have mothers who sit behind them in court after the yeah. horrific things they've done. And I've been such a good girl and you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't do anything to, to deserve that kind of rejection. But, you know, going out into the world, I just wanted somebody to love me, anybody. And I would just latch on to people. And I think even in friendships, it was just too much for people, um, you know, but, but I met this guy and and he just, you know, it was, he would always say, it's you and me against the world. And, you know, his dad just loved me and I adored his father and his mom, you know, she was a little more, you know, I think moms are always a little more protective Sick. with their kids and who they choose. But, um, you know, she came around too and, and his sister became my best friend and I had a family finally. And I was, I had a tribe. I, I belonged to them. And honestly, it, it sounds, it sounds so demeaning to myself, but considering where I came from, it actually felt good to belong to somebody, even in that romantic way. You know, he wanted me, nobody else did. My own mother and, and father, step up. Nobody wanted me, but this man loved me. And I thought I was, I was on top of the world for like three weeks. <laughs> and then, you know, then the red flags, you know, and I, I, like I said, I'm 47 now. So in retrospect, you know, I wish that I had had that person, whether it was a mother or the best friend or somebody that would tell me to listen to the red flags. Um, but I didn't, I, I hate to say it. I turned into my mother. I was excusing it. Oh, he just had a bad day. That's why he got angry. That's what I, angry was what I called when things started flying across the room at me or a crowbar was swung at me or a door was slammed so hard it came up the hinges or the holes he would punch in the wall. He was just having a bad day, you know? And then his mother, I kind of confided in her, like trying to get an idea like it, they were such a beaver cleaver, nice family. Like I didn't know where all this was coming from with him. Um, but she would just say, oh, well, all the men in the family have anger issues. And it was kind of a family joke, um, but it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny at all. Um, and then he started doing the silent treatment very early on as well. Um, 
And I think I tolerated it because I was so used to it. I didn't know any other way. I just figured when he went silent for a day or two, it was like, okay, I must have done or said something he didn't approve of. So then I would like, you know, I mean, I couldn't even function. I was going to college full time. I was working full time. I had a full plate. He had me moved in with him, by the way, within six weeks because it was a good idea. And he had all these rational reasons and, and they made sense. And so here I was now living with this guy and just telling myself, okay, he had a bad day and, and you know, it's going to be all right. And, and, you know, we're just really stressed out because we have bills to pay. And I, maybe I'm being a little, you know, irritable because I've got a final exam that I'm anxious about or, you know, then I started blaming myself because it must be me because I was the common denominator, you know, with my parents and with this guy, it, it's gotta be me. But it was weird because when I wasn't around him or when I wasn't with my parents, the world received me just fine. Um, it was just them. But again, I think I was just so used to it. It's not like I hadn't been asked out, you know, on dates by nice people, <laughs> but I didn't know what to do with it. It was also almost boring when I thought about some of these guys that asked me out, I, I liked them, but I didn't know what to do with nice. I didn't know what to do with somebody that held a door open or a car door open or actually wanted to take me to dinner. You know, it's just. It was a foreign concept. Yeah. And so, you know, there's so many people that even now that this book has come out, people that know me that have read it, well, if it was so bad, why did you stay? There's a lot of reasons why somebody might stay, you know, and my go-to is, you know, I, I'm just talking right now about the beginning of the relationship with my ex, but by the end of this 25 years where we had been married just shy of 20 years, had a kid, you know, we had a house, we have a whole life together, you know, it had gotten very violent. There were death threats. Um, there was a knife incident, a gun incident, even after the divorce, police wouldn't uh, get involved because he'd done nothing wrong. And I had no video proof or any solid proof. But, you know, it's just really frustrating to try to explain to people that it's not as easy. You think that in a situation like that, you would just walk away. But it's not that easy. And when you're in a situation where there's violence and somebody wants you dead, it's not safe to walk away. You can't just get up and leave because, I mean, like I said, this a lot of the more violent things that happened happened after our divorce. So, you know, it almost turned into, you know, like I say, it's like survivor. Like it almost wasn't going to be done until somebody was dead. And you know, even with the book coming out, I should have been happy. I'm a published author. This is great. I'm I'm helping victims of abuse, you know, realize what they're going through and maybe give them hope that there is life after that relationship and that you can prosper. And, and I have been, I've been thriving. I've been doing so well, but I'm terrified. I am still to this day terrified. I still have multiple video cameras around where I live now. I worry when I leave the house. I just had a friend last week. I was doing a book signing in the area and she was on the way there and saw an ambulance. And she said the first thing that came to her mind was that 
he had gone to the book signing and done something. Mm. So, I, you know, to say to somebody, well, if it was so bad, you can't just say that. That's like when people say, oh, well, if so-and-so cheated, I would just leave. Well, if you knew how many times my ex cheated on me, I didn't leave. And I would have thought I was that person too. But guess what? When you have a kid and you have a mortgage and you have life together. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Is nice, but you don't always just walk out just because you, you, you don't necessarily forgive it either. But you figure you, out how to move past it. You, you told a very similar story to mine, uh, minus the marriage and the children. But the key point that you mentioned about staying, why do we stay? And that was something that I just didn't understand because like my relationship, there was multiple cheating and, and gaslighting and uh, psychological manipulation. And I, and, and, and this is the part that gets me if if let's say you or i were educated people we're we're, we're we're civil we're good human beings um we're we're faced with things like gaslighting and the the horrible things that were said to us or done to us you you would think that we and i'll speak for myself you would think that we would stand up and say i'm not going to tolerate this anymore and and leave and yet I didn't. I stayed for two more years after I found out what she was doing. It's it you are right. It's not that easy to walk away. And you're of course it's even harder when you're in a marriage and you have the house and you have the children. And um how long ago how long has it been since you divorced? Um, it was during COVID. Um, during it, the sick part was was that I had talked to seven attorneys in my life with him. The seventh, I take that back. I talked to the sixth attorney in February of twenty. I'm sorry, March of 2020. And five days later, our state went under the shelter in place. So God help me, I was uh -huh. stuck in my damn house with this man. <laughs> I, feel so bad I literally carried all my things, every last thing I had down to my basement. And here's the thing, I'm laughing about it, but this is, <laughs> people won't understand this unless they're a victim of narcissistic abuse. So I carried all of my things down to my basement and figured I would set up camp down there. He wanted to play games. So he shut off the toilet in oh. the basement well i figured if he was gonna play like that you know at that point i was i was so done with him but i still had to be careful but i'm like i i you know what he's not gonna push me out of this basement and back upstairs with him this is humiliating but i tell about it in the book i think i know what's if coming i had to pee there was a sink in the laundry room and yep. I was little enough to climb up on it. I knew that was coming. And it froze, <laughs> but I got myself some bleach spray and cleaned it out every time. You know, I was hygienic about it, but you know what? I wasn't going to let him do that. I had myself a fridge down there, <laughs> a TV. I slept on the sofa. And you know what I started doing with the gaslighting? I started in 2019 because it wasn't just him. It was also my mother and stepfather. Things came to a head around 2018 or so 
I started keeping a notebook because I was tired of people telling me that things didn't happen yeah. and that, no, I didn't say that you're delusional, you're sensitive, all these things. It was always me. I kept a notebook. I would put the date and time, who said what, just a brief description. And I kept it under the couch cushions in the basement where I knew he wouldn't find it. Um, Cause who looks under couch cushions unless you're vacuuming them like once every five years, nobody goes under there. So I figured it was safe. And you know, it, it's interesting to me one, one morning during COVID when I was stuffed down there, <laughs> I was reading through it and I thought I cannot be the only person going through something like this. Wow. And I started, you know, kind of looking online and, and just kind of research. And that's when I, I didn't even know what narcissism was. And then I realized, oh my gosh, this is actually a thing. Mm. But by that point, I should also backtrack a little living with the constant stress. Like you said, the psychological manipulation, constantly questioning, did I do that wrong? Am I being sensitive? Is Mm -hmm. my perspective skewed? Was I not understanding that? Right. Maybe it was me, you know, the constant stress, the cortisol pumping through my system, that stress hormone, I started feeling really sick. I had dozens of symptoms, any basic things like tension, headaches, horrible digestive issues. I mean, I would be constipated for up to five weeks. Sorry for the TMI. My hands (laughs) would go numb all the time. Sometimes my entire arm would go numb. Sometimes if I sat for too long. I I was like a hundred year old person trying to stand up. Like my heart rate was dropping fast. I was getting dizzy. I, I could go on and on after about two years of testing and dropping. I was down to 93 skeletal pounds. Something was wrong with me. I finally had a couple to a neurologist and a functional medicine doctor get me tested by Mayo. They discovered that the stress hormone cortisol was so astrologically high to give you an idea levels should be between 100 and 600 at various points throughout the day. Mine were consistently over 2,500, even while I was sleeping because I was in a constant state of fight or or flight and the fear and it turned my body autoimmune. I ended up with a lung disease. It's all irreversible. Um, fortunately now that I have been out of the relationship and I am safe now, um, you know, my nervous system is still finding its way to some regularity. So I put some weight back on and I'm, I'm able to breathe a little better. I don't have to be on my oxygen machine as much, but there's, there's always, I mean, I I have EpiPens in it. I have like a diaper bag that I have to carry with me everywhere because of all the, you know, things that I I could be fine right now. And in five minutes crawling to bed because I I'm going to vomit or my head's just, I get a migraine or my vision goes blurry and you know, my heart, I've got all kinds of heartish. It's just disgusting that narcissists, they may not, well, my, my stepfather was physically abusive as well, but literally you could call it a supreme form of bullying. You could call it psychological abuse, verbal abuse, whatever it is, it can affect a person's physical health. People tell me, let it go, put it in the, I can't, it is holding onto my physical body the rest of my life. And every time 
I get dizzy because I can't breathe or that I have to go on my oxygen or whatever. All I think is of these, forgive me, these a-hole narcissists who did this to me and are walking around perfectly fine with a perfect conscience and getting away. I mean, what they have done to me is it should be criminal. If they, if my ex had actually shot me when he was shooting his gun at, you know, outside my bedroom window, or if I had been stabbed with a knife, like he tried to get in the house and do to me one night, that would be criminal. But the fact that nothing was, you know, physically done to me as a sort of assault, it's not considered criminal. And that is wrong. It is wrong because I have found, I, you know, as much as I, I have tried to stay off social media just for privacy, you know, I have been propelled into it, you know, with the books. And it's just astonishing to me how many victims of narcissistic abuse yeah. have the physical repercussions like I do. And they stay and some of them still stay. And so yeah. to give you a little perspective on that, just from my own you know, psychological evaluations of myself and other people that I've talked to, you know, the other part of why we stay is because we have hope, you know, these people, they've done awful things to us. (laughs) They have not been good partners or friends or parents or whatever their relationship, but they're not always that way. No, you know, We don't get into relationships with jerks. I mean, if somebody was a jerk to me like that, the first couple of dates, I'd been like, no, you're not, I'm, I'm good. I'll see you later. Best of best wishes. But the thing is, is that all this crap happens, but then they do that thing or say that thing. And, you know, they're holding your hand and they love you and cuddle you and say, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, let's go out to that fancy dinner for your birthday or, Hey, you know what? You wanted to buy whatever this is. Let's go out and buy it. And you think, oh my gosh, this person really does. I thought all this time, maybe they don't, or I've questioned it, but this shows that they do. It's they're breadcrumbing us. They lure us back in. And calcu- so they're very calculating. It, they, cal- they do. When they feel like they're losing us or that we're onto them, they do or say that one thing. And, and they always do that in front of an audience. So oh, nobody yeah. Us anyway, if we said, Oh, well, you know, that and you don't want to tell people because people won't believe you. Um, so you know, that it's that nagging question why do we stay? Because I beat myself up for that one. I knew the day I married him when the wedding march started playing, I literally panicked, and it the first thought in my head was, What the hell am I doing? Mm -hmm. I don't want to marry this guy. But I was so afraid I was going to be alone. He wanted me. Nobody else did. I thought, okay, but he's good to me sometimes. You know, the bad stuff will get through. Nothing's perfect. You know, I I gaslit myself. And so I think the part of the healing process that I can can give you and other people, um, because I I can honestly say it's taken a while, but I'm on the back end of it now. I'm in the home stretch is just forgiving myself. And what I am forgiving myself for is for having hope and having an open heart and loving somebody that didn't deserve the love that I gave to them. And that doesn't mean that I'm stupid. It doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean anything about me. It's all on them. 
but I had to forgive myself because, you know, we all want to be rough and tough and say, oh, if that person did this, I, I'm out and this and that. But, you know, at the end of the day, humans, we want to connect. We want to feel, you know, like, you, you know, we want to belong. We want to have our people. And when we have time and effort and, and care and all these things invested with, with somebody, um, who shows the ability <laughs> to reciprocate that, even though they don't always, um, you know, we, some of us just don't lose hope because we believe so much in that love. And we believe so much in humanity and people that we just figure we can love them enough yeah. that they'll choose to love us back in the same way. It's just unfortunate that narcissists at the end of the day, they're, they're for themselves. They, yeah. they they're, just don't care. They have no ability to consider another human being. They're not, they're not self-aware. They have no empathy. No. I, I, I went to the exact same thing towards the end. And when I got out, I, I said, I can't be the only one that went through this because I felt alone. I also had many people that didn't either believe me that some of the stories that I was telling them, they were like, no way, because they met her. And like him, right. they were charming around other people. Oh my God, they can they put on an act? And yeah. when when then I would call them that not my friends that night or my support group or whatever, and say this is what they really like. They look at you like well, that's not what I saw. Um, and also I want to tell you that, thankfully, and I'm sorry that the physical aspect of what you went through and that you're going through ma manifested to, to where it got to, but I too got sick. Um, I, I I've been battling some health issues since I got into sobriety eight years ago and I've been trying to fix my body since then. And I finally got to a place where my doctor said, okay, we're, we're at my blood bloods were good. Uh, I do have some heart issues, but yada, 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 but I was in a good place until this relationship and then the anxiety and the gaslighting yeah. and the, and the, the sleepless nights and yes. all that, <laughs> uh, my, yes. all of my health went out the window. I, I gained weight, my LDL, my cholesterol, my sugars. Yeah. Um, they even, she even, and I, I, my, my audience knows this, they, my narcissist partner, or I'm reluctant to call her a full narcissist, but she's on the spectrum got me to go on psychological medication because they thought she made me think that I was really crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. I've been yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. I, I was bipolar and I needed medication and I had anxiety. So I needed medication. And, and I went on it. You know, yeah. yeah. And I went on it thinking, well, if I could be a better, a better person, then I'll be yep. a better wife and I'll be a better mother. I, I, you know, I was convinced that whatever I can do to help the situation yep. and, you know, let me tell you the funny thing about it is that even though I was diagnosed as bipolar and, and with anxiety, and I mean, I was even on anti-seizure medication, all this stuff, you know, my doctor towards, towards the end of my marriage, you know, he, he kind of came to me and he, after an appointment, a follow-up and he said, you know, all these years, he says, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but he says, I'm not even really sure that you're bipolar. He yeah. says, you know, I think it's your lifestyle. And I looked at him and I said, so you mean that all this, all this medication is just because I'm married to an a-hole. And he, yeah. he was like, I, yeah. I honestly, he's like, you know, cause I, I have to joke when I'm nervous, but 
you know, he said, I, I, I honestly think, yeah. And, and so all these years of thinking I was bipolar and thinking I was this and that ever since the divorce, I mean, I am not on any medications anymore. Good. And I, the doctor even said last year, he's like, I, I don't, I don't even know that you really were, but yeah. he said, I felt like I had to numb you to just keep you going. And, and, and in my, so bad. yeah. And in my case, I felt as if uh, th she actually brought a third party in uh, a mutual oh. friend of ours who she gaslighted into thinking that I was really crazy and they, yes. they got me on the medication and I think there was a calculated move to get me subdated Absolutely. or to control me. Um, Absolutely. I, I, there was a question. I want to go back a little ways to your sure. childhood. And you didn't mention it. And, and, and if it's a touchy subject and you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. Where's your, your biological dad and all this? Okay. So I was a teenage pregnancy. <laughs> Okay. I was born on my mother's, she was 16 and my biological father was 15. He was around for my first year or so of life, but my mother, you know, I have a hard time because I don't call her a narcissist, but you know, she, well, she she's just married might to one. one. She's, she's, yeah, but she's something. Um, because even back then, um, and I am putting this together from what I have heard from other family members, my grandma, my great grandma, my godmother, cousins, that my mother was upset that my biological father didn't like ask her to marry him and that they weren't going to be this little family. I mean, he was 15 and, and let's be real when you're a teenager and you're doing that, you don't mean to make a baby. And no. Yeah, if I was 15, <laughs> so I give him credit. He didn't run. He was there, but she didn't want him to have access to me um, after I was about a year or two old. So she denied him access to me, but I did reconnect with him when I was 16 and I've had a relationship with him ever since. Good. And I was going to ask you that. Good. Amazing. He is, I mean, unfortunately we just live so far apart that we don't see each other often, but I, I mean, even with my previous marriage, every, he is so, so he's everything a father should be. I wish that he had raised me. Of course. It's unfortunate, but no, he is by no means. He's not just some, you know, disappearing act. He didn't just leave right. me and my mother in the dust, but, um, you know, he went on and married and had, um, two children and, and I'm regularly in touch with them. You know, right. we have good relationships. Um, it's just unfortunate that they say that you're wired by the time you're six years old, you know, yeah. based on how you're treated. And I think that, you know, my mother and her husband just did a number on me. So that that's just it. Some of us are just a little more screwed up. I just hope that more people would try to be self-aware and improve themselves and, and not um, go, you know, doing these things to other people. But it can go either one way or the other. There's people like you and me that may have been through stuff, but we, you know, use it to learn and uh -huh. to grow as people. And there's other people. And I think my ex is one of them. And it sounds like maybe yours too, that they go through stuff, but they're just angry and decide that the world's going to serve them instead. Uh. And that's just how it's going to be. And, and unfortunately people like us, you know, want, want so much to love the people they can be, or that they choose to be at times that, 
you know, we fall prey to it. And then we get stuck in these situations where we have to deal with the other side of them. You know, there's that doc, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde aspect to them and, and people don't get to see the side that we see. And, and it's, it's rough to deal with that. It's very rough. And this whole narcissistic uh, trend going on, and you're right, 20, 30 years ago, it, it was there, but uh, it's not, it's, it's a diagnosis in the DSM, the NPD, but there right. is no treatment for it because nobody, uh, 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 I often say this and in a joking way, but not joking, a narcissist is not going to walk into a therapist's office and say, I'm a narcissist, I need help. They just don't do that. Oh, no. 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 So, I, I Dana, I got it. I, your story of just your childhood and then into the marriage of, of I, I'm going to guess, 40 years or more of, yeah, Being exposed. <laughs> yeah. Tell yeah. tell me, tell us a little bit about that. You said you have two two books that you're working on now. Are, are they Yeah, I did release Gasping for Air. Um, that was just released earlier this month, doing very well. It was the first weekend. It was a number one uh new release in domestic abuse uh on Amazon. Um I I just finished a couple weeks ago the prequel, which discusses growing up, you know, with a narcissist stepfather and a mother who looked the other way. Um, so we're hoping to have that out by the end of the year. And right. then to complete the trilogy, um, there will be the sequel to Gasping for Air, um, which is after my divorce and um, <laughs> at a friend of 16 years that ended up uh, doing it. They call I don't know if you've heard the term nuking. Um, nuking is when they run a smear campaign on you and just completely destroy your, your finances, your professional life, your personal life, rally people against you. Um, all because, uh, her brother-in-law and I, you know, we had been friends for, I've known the family, like I said, uh, 16 years and he and I got to liking each other. We'd been through some similar things with our exes. We're now married and, um, she uh she did not like me coming into the family i'm told it's jealousy but what she has done to us you want to talk about a narcissist she yeah. she she completes my my little circle so we'll have a trilogy dealing with the you know the romantic relationship and gasping for air the parental relationship and the prequel and then a friend relationship in the sequel but they're everywhere they're everywhere and there's no consequences for them uh, the no, only consequences no. are for the victims. They don't have they, they they don't have a rock bottom. They really no. don't. And and when they run out and and as you know the term supply. So we are their yeah. supply. And if they run out of a supply, <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, talking about. I, I know. <laughs> and when they run out of supply, they will find more. And 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 in some cases, they will come back to you if they can't find a, a victim, and they will come back to you. But you oh, yeah. sound like you're strong. So uh, let's begin to wrap this up. I would like, I, I don't know if you mentioned it. How are you doing today? Where are you today? Are you in a relationship today? Are you married today? Yes, I am married to um, my, who was my friend for many years. Um, he got me through a, a big part of, you know, the end with my ex. And, and we realized that we were like best friends and partners in life and just wanted to be together. He wanted to get married. I didn't see why we needed to get married, but you know what? It's been, it's been amazing. I feel safe with him. Good. I feel protected. And most importantly, 
I have triggers. I have CPTSD. I, I am calming, but he is a quiet and gentle spirit. He's Good. just what I need. And he wants to be that person. And we have a beautiful relationship. So I am Good. with him. We are married. I am, like I said, my, my body is even learning to settle. The triggers are lessening. Um, you know, my health is better. I still struggle a lot of days, but it's better. Um, but definitely there's life after a narcissist. Uh, and I can honestly say, I don't even hate my ex. I don't know why I don't hate him. I because should, you, but because... I think I, I think I'm just, I'm done with it. I'm done with him. I'm past it. And you know, it's funny you say it, but he stopped bothering me the second that he, he got a new girlfriend and guess what? He moved her in real fast. Yep. Oh, and even yeah. after that, even almost a year after they have been living together, he has, he has still contacted me and, oh, you'll, you're always going to be the one. There'll never be one like you. Yeah. Oh, I so got that. Still trying to keep me on the hook, but I just ignore it. The best thing I can tell anybody is to stay no contact. There's nothing you will oh. ever say or do nope. that will tell them. You just leave it alone and move on with your life. I, I've had it no contact. Better. I've had no contact for eight months, but I did hear through the grapevine that the person that she brought on board to uh, the narcissists and gaslighters will sometimes bring a third party in to help them yeah. unbeknownst to them. That person happened to have been a friend of mine. He got in contact with me. I stopped being friends with him because that's another whole story. But he contacted me and said to me, she's trying to, to get me now to to uh, be romantic with her because I walked away and she was devastated because I left her. So uh, anyway, I just yeah, wanted she was to- trying to get to you. Yeah, so, she's trying to get to you for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know if it was her sending me the message or him because it was an anonymous type message, but they wanted me to know that she's she moved on or tried to anyway. So Dana, um, wow, all I can say is, wow, what uh, what a <laughs> your character strength and your perseverance is just amazing. And Thank your you. story is what I had the exact same thought that no, I can't be alone in this. There's got to be other people. And I have found so many people over these past. I've been doing this now about four or five months. It's amazing how much that's happening but that and thank you for saying that there is life after it because i didn't think so i thought after that relationship that i was done and i'm now starting like you starting to heal or you you you're remarried but i'm still single and i'm trying to move on and heal and i hope that one day i will find somebody that will treat me and i and accept my love and all that stuff so you will but, everybody there's somebody for everybody but you know and we don't necessarily need anybody we just need to love ourselves that's what end. i'm working Have on right self-respect and and that does take time this is all new to me honestly but once i started you know caring about myself and taking care of me and setting yep. some boundaries to what i expect from people as far as treatment, things started to turn around. And and I'm just learning that. So hopefully I, I got to heal some more it's and I'm going to take some time. So Dana, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, everybody, 
Dana Diaz. Uh, she has a book on Amazon, and it is a bestseller in the domestic violence. And it's yeah, called, domestic abuse called Gasping for Air. Gasping for Air. And you have two more books coming out. And two uh, more books coming. Listen, please reach out to me when they're out. We'll do another interview and we'll talk about it. I would like to get your book out there. And Amazing. Thank you, Thank you so much. And just hang in there. We're, we all have to stick together. We have strength in numbers. We're all going to be are. okay. And, and as long as people know that there is help and life after this. And if you are to all those in a relationship that you're hearing, this story resonates with you, reach out. You can either reach out to myself, reach out to Dana or any, anybody that you can get out. It's just, but, but you need to be safe. So Dana, have a great evening. Thank you. Thank we'll talk you. again you soon. Too. I'll put Sounds all your, good. I'll put all your information in the show notes so people know where to get your book and, and contact you if they need to. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. You take care. You know what I'm about to say. Wow. Dana, you are a example of real human strength and perseverance and overcoming the odds. I... I salute you. I, do, I truly salute you. I, th this is why I have all these people on, because I'm nowhere near where these people, these guests that I'm having on, have been able to um, get through the trauma of the horrible relationships to even where Dana spoke about her physical health. Uh, and I'm still recovering from some of the physical manifestations that happen after my relationship. And I, I truly hope that I am where they are someday. Uh, this podcast is my way of healing. So speaking of podcasts, please, as always, please leave me a review. Give me some stars and at least follow me. Uh, subscribe to the show. And you will automatically be entered into any contest that I um, hold this summer. We're going to have several contests, but you must be a subscriber. And of course, you must email me. But if you're a subscriber, you're, you're automatically considered a, content, a contestee. <laughs> okay. Try to say that one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. As always, if you're going to make a choice, please choose wisely. Until next time. Ciao.